make an impact on your interactive marketing through performance, advertising, community outreach, and technology. Be captivated by the people who are leading the wave of change in the online marketplace. This is who AdTech is. AdTech Connect, your weekly radio show. Get behind the scenes with industry giants. Be privy to the insider track. Witness the newest technologies. Make sure you're in the scene each week with AdTech Connect. You're connected now with your host. Welcome, everyone. This is Susan Bratton, the AdTech Chair and your host of AdTech Connect today. We have two guests at this show. Uh, We have Elizabeth Lloyd, the Chief Marketing Officer of a company called DMO Global, a new company you're going to get to hear about. And then we'll have Mary Shedder Butler, the Director of Business Development for Kimbo Systems, speaking with us today. Let's get Elizabeth on the line. Are you there this morning? Hi, Susan. How are you? I'm great, Elizabeth. Nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course. Thank you for having me. And also, congratulations on AdTech Shanghai. That was definitely a wonderful experience. Well, I was thinking about you this morning and preparing for the show today. And did, I think I might have seen you at every single AdTech. I think you came to the five global events this year, didn't you? Yes, I did. Well, thank you. That's some dedication. <laughs> you're, you're a number one champion for us, I think. Yes, so you definitely have to have a lot more next year also. So, No, but, um, you know, I, I believe that uh, going global for ad tech is such a smart move because that's definitely um, where the industry is going is I'm finding a lot of major consumer marketers um, and brand advertisers wanting to promote their products all across the uh, the other continents, so very smart. Well, I want to get into that a little bit more. Um, and before I do that, I guess one of the things I'd like to do, you, you are very much, in my mind, a person with global Internet marketing expertise, and I know you're really fostering that within yourself and within your organization. That's what you're all about. So I want to get into that. And I guess the thing that I'm most interested in is, we, you know, we've been together now at AdTech, three shows in the U.S. We've gone to Europe together and done a London show, and we just went to Shanghai. Where do you think the next emerging markets are for digital marketers? Um, I believe the next emerging market is definitely Japan. Okay. Um, you know, China obviously was a very good choice due to the recent um, activity there in every business facet, right? It's definitely up and coming. Um, but Japan, in terms of Internet concentration and Internet uh, savviness, uh, is definitely... Um, should definitely be part of um, what you're thinking of of uh, having for uh, next year. And also Singapore is um, a lot of Internet advertising companies are definitely popping up there as well. Mm-hmm. So you think Japan and Singapore are two of the best places to go next for ad tech? Yes, correct. Well, I'll let you know. We, we have them on our consideration list, so stay tuned for an announcement, and we hope you'll go with us there. Yeah, um, of course. I wanted to get into a little bit about you, Elizabeth. Um, you are you are recently with DMO Global because DMO Global is a new company. You're the chief marketing officer there. Yes. Um, tell me about GMO Global and what what that is compared to the the kind of um, top company, Dragon Media Online. What's the difference between those two companies? Okay, well. Uh, Dragon Media Online is our parent company, and there's two divisions, and DMO Global is the advertising network where we connect global brand advertisers um, 
to every country via the following platforms or channels. So web, email, search, video, and desktop. So that's DMO Global. And then the other division is DMO Data, and we do in international data slash email list management there. So basically, we get huge amounts of data from our advertisers and our publishers, and we're able to segment all that data by country and deploy you know, opt-in email marketing uh, messages to okay. each file. So going back to DMO Global, um, your description of DMO Global is that it's a leading affiliate network, but when you just described it, you listed email, uh, it sounded like you had an ad network. It sounds like it's more than affiliate. Can you go through that list a little more slowly for our listeners so we can get a better sense of the scope of the business? Sure. So we started off as a CPA network, um, but now opening up to other pricing models as well. Um, but in terms of the, the distribution channels is we're finding huge opportunities, especially in Asia, to go beyond uh, just web, you know, web banners and emails. So basically, uh, you know, there's emerging platforms there like IPTV, um, desktop applications now are definitely starting to, to come back. So at every customer touch point, we're able to distribute our advertisers' messages on. All right, so you have... The, the foundation of your business is a network of international websites that you have c conglomerated so that a marketer, no matter where they are, if they want to reach a, a, a set of users in a certain country, they can go to you and buy that on a CPA network or potentially on an affiliate relationship so they can do performance marketing with you. Correct. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Um, and then you're looking at also reaching out into other platforms like IPTV or desktop applications. So I understand that. What, what countries are you focused on? Is it China specifically for DMO Global, or what are, what's the list of companies that you're building, and where are you the most strong now? Um, we're actually very, very strong in Asia. Okay. And, and when you um, say Asia, uh, define Asia. How do you, do, you, do you define Asia including Australia and India and Singapore, or what's Asia to you? Yes. Okay. So um, Asia Pacific and then um, also Latin America is definitely our, uh, our, our strong suite there. Um, the European market is already, in my opinion, a little bit too saturated with, um, with a lot of ad networks there. But oh, our value is already there. here is the ability to be able to target in, uh, pe uh, people in India or people in Singapore, people in Malaysia, so countries that aren't normally on people's, you know, minds or, or target lists. Okay. And how are you going about getting these sites? Do you have a team of people that are looking for these small, vertical, interesting new sites in these countries and signing them up as your customers? Or are your customers finding you and coming to you? How do you build something like this? Um, basically, what we've done is we've set up um, distribution partners in every country. Okay. So I can go to India and then have access to the India.com uh, email database uh, due to my email distribution partner there. Or I can go to uh, Brazil and then... Um, because of the partnerships that I've made with leading portals, network sites, and service providers, I'm able to disseminate um, all of my clients' marketing messages. It's really exciting, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's definitely, and especially now that uh, that online globalization is really, you know, happening so fast, and it's amazing. Well, that's why I love this industry so much, is because it it crosses like every boundary, both like geographically, uh, socially, financially, everything. So it's great, and it's my passion as well. It, it, it is. It's, an, it's a fantastic passion to have, and I know that it's your passion. Um, you have really done an awesome amount. I want to get into talking about some of the articles that you've written recently and where people can read them and what they're about, because you are a great writer and you're really keeping up with what's going on over the world. Oh, thank you so much. Do you think that ev- I feel in some ways like just a few people ha- like you ha- have this knowledge. It's almost like a little secret about how vast and quickly the Internet is growing outside of the U.S. Do you think that that's true, or do you think that marketers really grok the immense opportunity that, that, that global digital marketing provides them even today? It's interesting, and that's a really good question. Um, in, at times, it seems like we're always so focused on the U.S., and there's such an amazing opportunity and amount of growth here. Yeah, that uh, sometimes it seems as if though everybody is like so caught up with everything that's happening in the U.S. that they tend to shy away or 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 they're scared um, of you know going internationally. So, for example, as I just wrote an article called "The Global Inbox," which um, described interna- international email marketing laws worldwide, and it's amazing that. Um, a lot of people here haven't really thought about how to manage the immense amounts of international data that they get, whether it be, you know, 45% of all their site traffic is international or, or just gathering, like, all the international email, email names that, can't, um, that, that they can't monetize. And the reason that I found why people, uh, you know, haven't taken that leap is because either they're scared or they're uncomfortable um, because uh, there's no education out there. So I was surprised that when I had written um, the article, The Global Inbox, that the strictest country um, with email marketing laws is actually the U.S. And if you're a a responsible marketer and follow everything, you know, from the Can Spam Act to opt-in to double opt-in email marketing, then you're fine in all the other countries. Um, What about Europe, though? I mean, I've heard that in Europe you can't um, market outside of your own country, like, for example, if you're based in Germany, try, trying to do a pan-European email marketing program is very touchy, right? Um, it's just a matter of the technicalities in terms of, you know, deployment. Is it a U.S.-based company that's, you know, that's sending out the email offers? Basically, it lies on the foundations of uh the can spam act of being a responsible email marketer. Um, for example, you have countries like Malaysia that don't have any spam laws at all, and then you have China that just signed the London Act, which is um, in congruence with Australia, the U.S., and the U.K. and Canada. Oh, no, I'm sorry, not Canada. So it's the U.S., U.K., and Australia, and not China. So they've all signed, um, you know, this mutual understanding of what is uh consensual email marketing. And this is called the London Act? Yes, it's, it's the London Act. Okay, because it started out in the U.K., perhaps? Yes. Okay, and so this is the consensual email marketing thing. So if you want to do cross, cross-country marketing, you better know about that. Yes. 
Definitely. Okay. So I'm, I'm actually coming out with a manual, um, which is kind of like a follow-up to, to the Global Inbox, and also uh, it's a... It's a three-part series. So the first article came out last week, and um, expect to see the second portion next week on iMedia. Oh, great. Well, that brings me to one of the questions I wanted to ask you, which is if someone wanted to read all the articles that you've written to get up to speed on the international digital marketing opportunity, where could they go to find a complete compendium of all your articles? So um, iMedia Connection, which I'm really happy is actually part of AdTech now, um, under the international and the multicultural sections. So if you go to imediaconnection.com, is that the URL? Correct. imediaconnection.com, go to multicultural and international, and your stories are all listed there. Correct. Um, okay. It's under both sections, the international and the multicultural. Well, that brings me to another question then. Let's talk about the difference between international and multicultural. Why don't you give our audience a definition uh, uh, for each so we're all on the same page? Okay, perfect. So basically, you know, when I was speaking at AdTech Shanghai, this question came up. Uh, let's take a country like China, for example. There aren't any um, certain types of divisions between the Chinese people, right? Um, whereas you have That's because 91% of them are Han, right? Correct, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they have, a, they have a pretty homogenous culture yeah. with 91 isn't it something like there's 56 per, there's 56 unique cultures within China but the Han or Han group is 91% of the total yes correct yeah. so basically you know to 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 your point um a company a, a country like China is very homogenized where there's no certain division right but then you come to the US which is the melting pot and you have um, U.S. Hispanics, you have Asian Americans, so that's definitely the big difference there. Mm-hmm. And it's really, you know, an art and, and a science of trying to market uh, both multiculturally and, and internationally as well. You know, people just think it, it's a matter of doing a translation, but it's not at all because, you know, specific designs and graphics appeal to one country um, and a totally different set of creative as well as uh, wording would appeal to another. I get it. And let, let me talk more about the specifics of a media buy in some of these countries. You know, one of the things that we learned in going to China together is that today the big sites like Sina and Sohu, uh, these, these big portals in China actually sell their inventory very differently. They sell... Yes by the day and not by the impression. And advertisers are not currently getting significant amounts of impression reporting from their publishers. I think that will ultimately evolve because it's a global market, and, they're, and, right. and I think the Chinese are going to have to come, they're going to have to get better at their reporting. But today, the, it's highly contentious around the wanting to be on the top level of the homepage or in some of the vertical channels top levels. So they're also not maximizing their inventory. Do you find that the same in India and in Latin America, or are they doing things even differently than China or the U.S., who have very different ways of doing things? Um, You know, that's a really good question. So basically, um, a lot of countries are doing a mix, right? So you have uh, European countries that are more into 
the CPM-based. Um, and then you have China, which, as you had mentioned, does everything on a time-based uh, type of model. What I am finding uh, was one of the articles I had written about a month ago was called CPA for Cost Per Asia. Okay. And because they have realized that the time-based model is not that effective, um, I am definitely starting to find the CPA affiliate uh performance-driven model is really starting to take Asia by storm. Oh, I'm sure. Once introduced to the concept, who doesn't love CPA or CPA? Yeah, exactly. Right? What marketer wants to pay CPM if they, can, if they don't have to? <laughs> that is very true. Of course. So you think that's taking hold. Now, what about in India? How are ads bought and sold in India? You, you know, it's interesting. Um, ads are sold both on a CPM and a a CPA, and I found uh, one very interesting fact that paid surveys um, actually do tremendously well there. What do um, so paid surveys? It, what did you say? Uh, well, paid surveys, so the, the promotional type of marketing that you see online, so basically if you are, you know, on the Internet and then you see an ad, do you like McDonald's or Burger King? Yes or no? So you... Um, pick, you know, Burger King, and and then it says, well, to take this short survey online, we will, you know, send you a ten dollar gift certificate to either McDonald's or Burger King. So that form of marketing, the promotional kind of sur- the survey type, mm-hmm. is doing extremely well there. And it's so interesting to find that um, that marketers until recently. Are, have never really thought of a country like India as a potential source of um, of distributing their messages up until now, just because of the whole, you know, the uh, the outsourcing issue. So, okay. Now, yeah. going back to the CPA network that you have at DMO Global, if if I were a, an international marketer, let's just say I were uh, maybe something like Dove Real Beauty or uh, Coca-Cola or Nike, you know, a, a brand that is found in all global major markets, mm-hmm. what would you say to me, just maybe your top three words of wisdom about, say I said to you, all right, Elizabeth, you're in charge of my budget. Here's $20 million, and I want to be in Asia, Latin America, and China. Please tell me what you're going to do with that money. How do you want to divvy it up? What kind of deals are you going to do for me? Where would I find my advertising? How would you you make it different in some of those countries? Okay, well, Basically, our value add is our distribution partnerships that we have in each country, um, and we only partner with the top, you know, portals, networks, and email service providers there. So it would be an integrated plan of web, email, search, desktop, mobile marketing is huge in uh, in Asia. Is if you look at the stats, you know, out of a country, well, let's take China for example, out of a country of 1.3 billion people. Um, you, you know, and there's about 129 million it, internet, but 330, I believe, 333 million mobile marketing users. I mean, that's a huge opportunity there. I was so surprised to find out that the number one ad for mobile marketing messages um, last year in China was actually toothpaste. Well, yeah, there's a lot of people with a lot of teeth to brush. Yeah, so it's just interesting because here in the States, you would never think that you're walking down the street and all of a sudden you, you get an ad on your cell phone for toothpaste. 
But it right? is the I mean, platform the, for digital marketing in China, definitely. Right. So it's just those little things that, that are so um, so surprising because here in the U.S., it's, we wouldn't think of that ad being, you know, very effective on yeah. a mobile phone. Crest would never be the number one advertiser in the mobile market here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. But, you know, my words of wisdom for marketers is definitely um, the up-and-coming markets, which I'll tell you right now is uh, China, although the market has to mature. Um, but aside from what I had said with, with Singapore and Japan, it's Brazil, Russia, and India. Really? Huge opportunities for, for growth there. And why is that? You know, it's interesting is um, if you take a uh, look at a country like Brazil, yeah. the Internet penetration there is um, is definitely growing day by day. And if you also look at Russia, um, it, it's all very interconnected because a couple months ago Google had announced that they hired about 4,000 engineers there. So obviously that um, that's like a growing market because you have people there that are starting to get educated on, you know, search or on just Internet as a whole. Mm-hmm. And India also just because, you know, aside from the technology there and they're definitely the leaders in advergaming and, you know, uh, gaming for mobile marketing and also as more people there are becoming educated, um, that means that more people there are going to become be coming online as well. I mean, take a look at what happened to China, right? I mean, the demographics from 18 to 34-year-olds that are in Internet cafes, these Internet cafes have showers and bunk beds there because they cannot, um, they're so addicted to the World Wide Web because it's something that they, de- that they haven't been exposed to. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting to note as well is if you look at the platforms like the, um, all of the inter- all of the computers in the internet cafes or you know the IPTV the biggest advertiser there is a, is the Chinese government because um, they want to attract um, you know the 18 to 34 year old demographic so all of the ad campaigns that they have it's called the China Youth Group mm-hmm. and so basically they know that you know, these people are so um, addicted to, to the Internet, and it's kind of like a form of control, right, that they still want to be um, c- controlling the types of marketing messages that the Chinese users see. But it's really fascinating, and especially the Internet use there for an hour is about a quarter, and then, I mean, these Internet cafes are just packed. What, I mean, just have showers and bunk beds there. I mean, it's so fascinating. Have you heard of a company called Market China? Yeah, I actually just spoke to them yesterday. I mean, they're doing amazing things. I mean, how brilliant is that? And well, let's, let me describe it. And um, that. Let me describe it to the audience so they know what it is. It's uh, Market China is a U.S. and Chinese-based company that has um, relationships with a lot of the internet cafes. So I think they're, they estimate that there are a hundred thousand internet cafes in Asia, and Market China has access to I think about ten thousand of them in the major markets. And I could get, yes. I could get these numbers totally wrong. Um, and they are building out a gaming network and a distribution network on all of the internet cafe computer platforms and pushing broadband content. And you know how you were saying those ads, those promotional ads in India where you get to choose, you know, uh, Burger King or McDonald's and you get a promotional code? 
Right. Uh, the Market China people are doing a very similar type of a thing, um, kind of an educational advertising program, like asking how many stripes are there in a, a real and authentic Adidas shoe? Because, of course, in China there's a million knockoffs, right? If you answer there are three stripes, then you get some, you know, some special promotion or codes or points or what have you. So they're using a, a highly interactive um, survey process for a lot of their advertising as well. And they're doing, they're essentially creating an ad network in internet cafes. So a marketer yeah. would come in and instead of buying on Cena or Sohu or NetEase or Tom Online, they would buy an ad on Market China that would appear on, you know, 5,000 or 10,000 internet cafe desktops which I think is a really interesting thing. They, they explained to me, and I'd never really thought about it this way, but you know, China has the one-child policy. And that, so that child has no siblings, and they live in a fairly small house if they're in an urban area. You know, it's a space constraint. And so what do they do? They want to get out of the house. They want to be with other children, and they go to Internet cafes or other teens, and they go to Internet cafes to, to have those relationships and that camaraderie. And I just thought that was a really interesting angle on the Asian market. Yeah, and what's interesting, too, um, and Susan, that was an excellent description of that company, um, is that their pricing model is performance-driven. It's called a CPI. CPI, cost cost per interaction? Yeah, so it's cost per interaction. So every time the user interacts with either, you know, a question um, or that kind of survey style, then that's, you know, their pricing model there. So like CPA, it. and then now you have CPI. I think the cost per interaction is very similar to what Ted McConnell from Procter & Gamble, when he did the keynote at AdTech Chicago in July, he called for a cost per engagement metric. That's right. So what he wanted to do was measure engagement, which is very, very much cost, is, is the CPI concept that Market China is promulgating. Right. So I want to get a tip from you. You know, in, at the AdTech New York show when you spoke, you, uh, you were in a series at the end of the show called Damn, I Wish I'd Thought of That, uh, which, of course, I stole that description from Andy Cernovitz from Gas Pedal. He originally came up with that phrase, and I loved it so much. I, I, I stole it from him. He gave me permission to steal it, and I, had, <laughs> I gave him credit for it. And Damn, I Wish I'd Thought of It was, what do we have, like 25 or 30 of the best speakers at AdTech at the end of the show come up on stage and in, you know, one minute give a tip. And I didn't, I saw your tip and I thought it was good and I wanted you to share it with the AdTech Connect audience today. Can you repeat your fabulous tip for everyone? Yeah, well, thank you so much. Um, Basically, it's three letters that I had uh, mentioned, CPA for cost per Asia. Mm -hmm. Um, The affiliate market is is definitely um, opening there. I think... uh, what happened to the U.S. in terms of shifting from a CPM to a, a CPA is starting to happen. Um, so, per, so performance-based marketing in Asia, um, especially in China and Japan and Korea and Singapore, uh, are definitely uh, is definitely the way to start thinking about your marketing programs online. Fantastic. So, CPA for Asia, and now. Elizabeth, where where do you live? I live in San Francisco, but um, but are you I've ever been... there? <laughs> Sorry, are you ever there? No, um, my family lives abroad, and I've lived you know in different countries. So it's definitely my passion, and I love the internet, and I love doing international business. So uh, when this opportunity came 
to me, I quickly pounced on it. So, And what, tell us something about yourself. We, you know, we've done a lot of business talking, but uh, you're a, a, an interesting and fascinating woman in your own right. Who cares about DMO Global or anything else? Tell me something about you that we would never assume. I'm not American. I have uh, two passports. I have a European Union uh, passport from Spain, an Australian passport, and I have a green card that I won in the lottery. A green <laughs> card for the U.S.? Yes. <laughs> so what's your original country of origin? Where were you born? Um, I was born in the Philippines, in Manila. In Manila? Yes. Um, and the your parents Manila, are, is your mother Manilan and your father? Uh, is Australian, and my mother is from Spain. Spain and Australia. Got it. I love that. And what about music that you're listening to? You know, you must love the global, the world, the music of the world, I would imagine. Are there any bands that our listeners should know about that you love right now? My favorite is Otmar Liebert, and he's a German Spanish mm-hmm. guitarist. Yeah. He's excellent. So I highly recommend his album called Barcelona Nights. Barcelona Nights. You better spell Otmar Lieber for people. Not everyone might have heard of him, but he's wonderful. Okay. It's Otmar, um, O-T-M-A-R, Liebert, L-I-E-B-E-R-T. And that's Barcelona Nights. Nights, yes. I love it. That's great. Excellent. Well, how fun. Thanks for that great tip. And I'm so pleased that you join us. Will you come back sometime and spend some more energy with us? Of course. That sounds great. Anything you want to say to the ad tech audience before we part today? Um, I just wanted to say that I'm looking forward to uh, expanding in other global markets, and it's definitely a very interesting time. Uh, global uh, or online globalization is um, is definitely something that you should be thinking of. And what better person to lead us into the global markets for ad tech than Sue Bratton, who's done such an amazing job? <laughs> Thanks, Liz. Well, this is Elizabeth Lloyd, the Chief Marketing Officer of DMO Global, a leading affiliate network uh, for international marketing. And thank you so much, Liz. Have a great day. We're going to go to commercial now. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to Mary Shedder Butler of Akimbo Systems. Over 4,000 clients around the world are utilizing effective content-based solutions from InfoSearch Media with the expertise of over 200 professional copywriters to work for you. Studies show that the number one factor visitors consider before making a purchase online is trust. And nothing creates more trust and loyalty than well-written, informative content. High-quality content also generates free search engine traffic. Content is definitely king. Visit InfoSearch searchmedia.com today. USA Radio Network News, John Scott reporting. America's will is strong. Like the idea of gambling and winning with someone else's money? How about cashing in with the house? Sign up today with PartyPoker.com, the world's largest poker room and poker affiliate program. Cash in on one of the most lucrative and fastest growing industries for webmasters. There's $10 million paid out to webmasters every month. The world is your oyster and every hand is a winner. Wouldn't you like a slice of that pie? PartyPoker.com. Betting on the house makes you a winner every time. Contact Alex. L at PartyGaming.com for a great deal. PartyPoker.com It's all about links, baby! 
Content is king, but links are what you need to get you those all-important organic search listings. Float to the top of your keyword listings within the major portals while driving targeted traffic to your website at the same time. Work with a company with a proven track record for delivering results for thousands of individual website owners and major Fortune 500 companies. TextLinkAds.com is your source for securing relevant links. Baby, TextLinkAds.com. 60-day free advertising trial on the best of the web directory. That's B-O-T-W dot org, the Internet's oldest directory since 1994. We know what you want, and we've got what you need. And hey, if you can get some free online advertising in this world with no strings attached, feel us up. I, I, I mean, feel free to take advantage of this extraordinary offer and start your no-risk 60-day free online advertising trial today. Best of the web. BOTW.org. You're connected now with your host. Hello, and welcome back. I'm Susan Bratton, the Ad Tech Chair and your host of Ad Tech Connect. Thanks for coming to listen to us today. We have another guest speaker, uh, Mary Shetter Butler, who is the Director of Business Development for Akimbo Systems and a recent speaker at Ad Tech New York. Mary, are you on the line? Uh, yes, I am. How are you today? Great. How are you? Fantastic. You know, we had 230 speakers at Ad Tech New York, and you and I did not get to meet, and I'm so sorry about that. I can only parse myself into so many fractions, <laughs> and I, yeah. I saw you up on stage, but I didn't get to say hello to you. Well, that's all right. It was a big show, and uh, I kind of cruised in there at the last minute, so... Um... Being sort of a new technology, it wasn't, um, you know, sort of the main messages of the ad tech uh, convention weren't necessarily all about Akimbo. So we were kind of, you know, on the, on the future fringe of, you know, what advertising and the Internet can be uh, well, you sort did, of combined with broadcasting. So You definitely had a packed room. When I went in, it was standing room only. So you, maybe it feels like the fringe to you, but I would say the top 20% of the most aggressive marketers in the industry are very interested in hearing about what's going on with what I call TV 2.0. Yeah, and I think there's still a lot of education that needs to be done, too, in, uh, in the marketplace to sort of understand, you know, where Akimbo sits and what we're doing. But there's definitely been um, sort of a change in the, in the knowledge level of, of uh, both executives on the ad sales side as well as people on the programming side uh, to sort of understand what IP-delivered programming um, can be. Well, we're going to get into some of that education today, and it's interesting that you talked about people on the programming side and the ad sales side, because I think that's what you are, right? Didn't you start out on the ad sales side and kind of merge your way into the programming world? I did. I was one of those very original people starting way back when. Um, uh, I launched uh, CNN Interactive Advertising Sales as one of the first executives to sell interactive advertising when it was not really very well known, and... uh, actually sat on a couple of meetings for the IAB board to determine the actual size of banner ads. So exactly. we came up with these specifications for that. 1996, so, 1997, right? Yeah, it was like 95, 96, 97, kind of in there. So um, it was at the very early stages when you, you know, had to go knock on the door of these advertisers that you were selling broadcast schedules to and try to convince them or talk to them about this wacky world of the Internet and how great it was going to be for them. Well, you must like to be a pioneer because you've gone from traditional cable television ad sales to interactive ad sales to television 1.0 ad sales, and now I'd say you're with TV 2.0. Is that right? Yeah, that's kind of how it evolves. You know, it's, it's a funny thing, but it's just one, uh, one you know, 
new development uh, sort of feeds on the next. And I've, I've been involved in some very early sort of television, interactive television projects that, you know, never necessarily uh, became huge successes in their own right. But um, Net Channel, for example, was sold to AOL TV and sort of became the basis for that service. Um, what was, was the Channel? What was the functionality of Net Channel? I don't remember. Net Channel was a competitor to Web TV. They were both doing the same thing. And our difference, you know, Web TV was the web on TV, whereas Net Channel actually was much more like what we're doing here at Akimbo. It's just that the technology wasn't there probably to implement, you know, what we wanted to do, which was create an environment where you could access things that were delivered over the web on your television. But at okay. the time, it really wasn't very video enhanced because there wasn't a lot of video scooting around on the web. Right. And, and then, just and then the, you went you know, to DotCast. What was DotCast? Well, DotCast is still a company that exists. It's uh, it's not very well known, but it was um, sort of in that, uh, again, in the, in the Internet bubble when a lot of people were trying new things, and DotCast uh, is a company that um, exploited the unused uh, broadcast spectrum, and it was a digital in the digital as well as the analog technology. And uh, two other companies were existing at the time, iBlast and Geocast, and we were all trying to do the same thing, which was... Um, use existing airwaves, uh, unused uh, spectrum from existing airwaves to create, um, you know, new businesses out of that. So DotCast is actually, um, the technology is being used in a product that uh, Disney is going to be launching soon called MovieBeam. 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 And it's an underlying technology that's going to be, um, that's being used to support that. And, and MovieBeam is a service that uses the broadcast signals um, around the country, digital spectrum, to um, allow you to send programming. Digitally. Down Very interesting. And is yeah. it going to be all kids' movies? Is it kind of like the Disney Channel delivered in a new way? No, I don't think it's a Disney Channel, but it is a movie. I think uh, it's a movie service primarily, and it uh-huh. involves other movie studios, not just Disney. So getting out of the out of the mailbox and onto the airwaves, the new concept for Netflix, huh? Uh, well, that, that one maybe. I, I don't know. Again, you know, you have to look at the digital living room and decide, you know, what are consumers going to put up with and how many different devices and... and uh, are you going to have in the living room with different, you know, technologies associated with them? Um, one thing I like about Akimbo, which is different, is that uh, since we're a service provider and not necessarily tying ourselves to a box or a device, you don't have to, as a consumer, say, make the decision, I'm going to buy that box or I'm not going to buy that box. So we don't so have that that's problem. that's because you're supporting media centers. So you have a choice of buying an Akimbo box or, or using your media center PC. Is that why you say that? Right. We've had it. We've had a. So our distribution strategy, our path to distribution, is is being implemented currently. So we had to build our own device initially. It's called the Akimbo Player, which is just a separate standalone set-top box that hooks into your Ethernet connection, hooks up to your television through the AV jacks, and it's cheap too. To your, right, it's seventy bucks. What's that? It's cheap too, isn't it? Your yeah, box. it's pretty inexpensive. I mean, right now it's on sale for sixty nine ninety five or something online. You can go to Amazon dot com or Akimbo, but so that device is just a standalone player, and that allows you to access the service. Then our next distribution partner that we announced in October was uh, the Media Center devices. So um, that's an installed base, which is great. Anybody who has already has a Media Center can access the Akimbo service again. Uh, they have to sign up for a subscription, but you don't need then to buy another device in your home. How, how, much is a, how much is a media center PC these days? Do you know? They range anywhere from, it depends on how many gizmos, you, you know, how fancy you get. So they're anywhere from 800 to $1,000. But um, the interesting thing is that Microsoft just released a, a data point that said about 46% of all their PC sales now out there in the marketplace are media centers, media center enabled, I should say. Wow. So, and yeah. and what, um, what's the installed base of media center? Do you have any ideas? 
There's uh, right now. There's about 1.6 million media centers out there, and they had, you know, they've uh, they've said that there should be about close to three million by the end of the year. I don't I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but um, they're definitely growing, um, even though they're expensive. But the the interesting thing about that is that you do have an install base, and unlike you know starting from zero when you're selling a, a set top box device, yep. um, you don't have to make that sales push. You're making the the sales is really about your service, and you know would you like to subscribe to the service, not would you like to buy this box and subscribe to the service. And that's, so that's your just, revenue model, of course, subscriptions at $10 a month, right? Right. It's that as well as revenue. We revenue share with all of our providers. So there's a premium level of service that's in, that's in the, the Akimbo service. There's a number of titles that are either provided on a pay-per-view basis or on a membership basis where consumers pay extra for those. And those are usually the, the higher-end, more unique programming, whether it's theatrical movies or we just did a deal with uh, Major League Baseball to provide um, condensed games. So next season, a consumer can sign up and they'll be able to, um, for a monthly fee, they sign up for the MLB service uh, or to the MLB channel and they'll get um, all of the condensed games from all the games that played the night before. And condensed games are any, are about 10 minutes um, in length and it just um, it condenses the, um, you know, the usually two to three hour games down to a manageable level. That is great. Well, I, I, I want to get, I love that idea of the condensed content, and I've never heard that before, and I'm thoroughly excited about it, and I want to come back to it. But I, while I was eating my peanut butter toast this morning and thinking about our conversation ahead, I somehow cleverly came up with, and it was completely by accident, all of the things I wanted to talk to you about started with the letter C. So let me lay them out to you in the audience, and we'll work our way through them. I want to talk about the concept of akimbo and, and, and understand in general what it is. I think we've covered it pretty well, but I just want to put a point on it. I want to t- uh, make sure that people understand the cost, and I think we've gotten that. I want to talk about the content, so getting beyond your MLB deal and into kind of what makes your content interesting and different than what you can get on television. You know, what's the raison d'etre of akimbo specifically? I want right. to understand your competition because I don't think it's TiVo, but I want to understand it for our market. And then I want to talk about your customers and who they are. And then I want to get finally to what marketers need to know and if there's any ad-supported opportunities in Akimbo that marketers can leverage. So let's work our way through that so that we can kind of get a replete idea of Akimbo. So the concept is, tell me that in a nutshell, just so we get it all on one page. Right. So Kimbo is actually a complementary service right now to to somebody who might have cable or satellite. Uh, it's not a replacement. So it's not a DVR. We It is a digital recorder in the sense that it's a download uh, model. The okay. programming is sent down to a device that's recorded onto the hard drive, and then consumers watch it back when on their schedule. Mm-hmm. So um, we call it a, it's a video-on-demand service uh, sent over IP. Okay. So different, so, different than IPTV. Traditional uh, description of IPTV is, is the Microsoft one, which is linear, you know, delivering linear streaming channels of programming over, uh, over IP. We're not doing that. What we're doing is sending things on a download model, uh, not streaming. And because we do that, you have this quality of service that you can maintain. And so all yep. the programming that comes down to the Kimbo service then when it's viewed back is minimum broadcast up to DVD quality. And so you don't have any uh, quality of service issues when you're viewing the programming. It all looks very good. And, and how big are the hard drives in those boxes? How much crap can you uh, consume? <laughs> well, we don't think of it as crap, really, Susan. It's all fabulous programming. I mean, who wouldn't there want to go. watch How much fabulous programming can you consume? <laughs> Turkish horse racing. Um, it's, um, it's actually... Um, 
and the in the the Kimbo device, the current player, the standalone player, has an 80 gig hard drive, which can hold anywhere from 150 to 200 hours. Uh, in the media center devices, it's purely up to the consumer. They can add on and add on and add on, and they can actually have an unlimited hard drive. Okay. Uh, but but 80 gigs is pretty is pretty much, and you know, like um, like other recording devices, uh, it'll tell you if it's getting full, and and there are things that license in and license out. So, uh, movies, for example, have licensing windows. So you might purchase a pay per view movie, but then the license for that will expire. So there are some things that'll happen um, kind of on its own, and it's pretty manageable. We haven't okay. heard yet of anybody you know over running their hard drive yet. And what about the cost? The cheapest I can get into this is seventy bucks plus ten bucks a month. What's the top end range? Well, well, that's that's this this player is on sale for that right now. Um, there will be we'll, we'll be launching a uh, we're getting out of the box business and we're launching with a major CE manufacturer who who's known for manufacturing televisions and other set top like devices. Uh, we'll be manufacturing the player in um, in the first quarter, and that device will sell for probably around you know one hundred ninety nine dollars. And then again, the nine ninety five, or you can you can opt for um, one hundred seventy dollar lifetime subscription for access to the service. Oh, that's so the thing. What percentage of your customers opt for the lifetime membership? I'd say probably over half of them do that, just so they don't have to worry about the monthly fee. Yep. Um, you know, the monthly fee is there to really support the business and our um, our management of the business and access to the service. Um, in addition to that, you know, there are other premium uh, programs on the service that that uh, consumers would pay for, like the, the Major League Baseball programming or the theatrical release uh, movies. Um, your, you know, some long-form stuff. But there are a lot of selections and a lot of titles that are available to the consumer uh, for no additional charge. So they pay their nine ninety five, and they could consume, you know, many, many hours of programming before having to pay any additional fees to watch anything else. Well, let's talk about the content. You have gotten good play on Major League Baseball, right? That's, that's right. a big one for you. And you've also put in some programming, uh, some gay programming that you've gotten a lot of press coverage on. So that's yeah, so the, yeah, the programming strategy is, is really just so you understand the overall view of it is, is you have, uh, you know, you've heard of the, the long tail. So that is, that is our primary focus is the long tail of programming, the idea okay. that, can, that somebody like Akimbo will probably make money on uh, over long term, uh, you know, by focusing on these niche programs and niche categories all, all added up together can actually, you know, provide a really um, – sort of a, a much better business model than just focusing on sort of the big head of content. But our view here has always been you sort of have to have the big head of content uh, along with the long tail, otherwise the long tail dies. And the reason is because of branding and, and consumers' uh, perception. So you yep. use things like relationships with recognizable brand names like CNN and Discovery Networks and uh, all the studios or what you might walk into the store. Let's say when we're in Best Buy next year, you're going to walk into the store, and that's what's going to attract you to Akimbo. Then once you get at home, you're going to notice that it has all these great uh, programming, uh, other programs on there. Let's say you're into skiing. You know, you'll be able to access Warren Miller Films, and you'll be able to access... Uh, how, you know, films on how to ski, as well as, you know, skiing travel, skiing vacations. Uh, there'll be things on music and jazz, you know, independent film, independent music. There's a whole host of other categories that may be of interest to you uh, personally and that are not necessarily accessible on regular broadcast television. So we kind of have a mix right now. We, we probably have 30 out of the top 50 ad-supported networks as partners. And what they do with us is they provide us a set of programs for VOD distribution. It's not always the same thing that's on cable, so sometimes it's, it's more um, than what they offer on cable because we don't have any sort of restrictions on the number of hours that's provided to us each month. So what um, kinds of things are there? Give me an example of a cable network that you have a deal with where there's more that you can get 
from Akimbo than from your local cable television network? Uh, well, let's, let's say like uh, like the Home and Garden Network, uh, okay. for all the Scripps Howard Networks. What we can do is we can archive all of their programs that, that they provide to us. Instead, what they do with cable, cable has limitations in the architecture, and uh, and so what they limit most of their providers to, most of their networks to, is is you know twenty or twenty five hours a month, and then they have to switch it out, or they call it refresh. In our model, um, we look to create sort of serial serialized library so that a consumer. For example, let's say you are um, you just bought a home, and if you're kind of just browsing around the VOD on cable, you may or may not run across you know a show from Home and Garden on how to put in a door. Um, so this month it's there, next month it's not. Um, so come you know a couple months later, you decide that you know now you're ready to upgrade some things in your new house, and you really want to see that show and how to how to install the door. Well, where do you go? Where is it? It's, it's not anywhere, so uh, if you have an Akimbo player, however, you can go to the Home and Garden TV channel and you'll be able to look through all their selections and most likely you'll find that title on how to put the door in because it's there on a video-on-demand basis and we've been archiving that library over time. So it becomes much more of a useful um, consumer service and much more like a library. If you would collect a library of DVDs, uh, that really is the model for, for Akimbo, assuming that someday we would have all of the things that you would potentially be interested in. So, that, you know, that's our goal. We're growing towards that, and we have over 150 partners right now providing programming, and we just hit, I think, 5,500 titles that are available on the service, but we have access to about 10,000. So, Two questions on that. The first one is, if I wanted to get that program on how to install a door, would it already? Would I have fifty five hundred things cached on my hard drive? No. So if I clicked no. on that one and it wasn't on my hard drive, how long do I have to wait to watch it? So you would go into the channel, you'd find the channel, or you'd go by category and you'd look it up and you'd find the title that you're interested in, and you'd download it. So let's say it's a thirty thirty minute show. Yep. Depending on how good your connection is, and you have to have a broadband, high speed broadband connection to access sure. the service. Um, so right now it's about one-to-one, but as you know, a lot of those technologies yep. for, you know, increasing bandwidth speed uh, through the ISPs are, are, are getting better. And you can have either a cable modem um, broadband connection or, or a, um, you know, or a DSL connection, and those are getting speedier. So sometimes it's less than 30 minutes. Um, the other model that we have is for programs uh, where we, that, that are serialized, and let's say we get a new show every week, we also offer the opportunity for consumers to sign up for a subscription, so then the programs are just automatically delivered. So that's kind of a neat service, and that's, yep. that's, that's how the MLB service uh, operates. We offer that for, like, the Adult Swim service. If you want to get the Adult Swim cartoons, you can sign up uh, for membership and, and a subscription, and then the programs are just sent down automatically. You never have to think about it. Now... Your programming guide, your EPG, have you done anything innovative in that for the customer to be able to more readily find the content they're looking for? Well, EPGs, just by nature and by the, the, the architecture, are pretty limited. Um, it's, it's, we've done some things that, um, because we can, <laughs> that are a little bit um, better than maybe what you'll find in a traditional cable EPG. Um, things are listed, you know, by channel and, and by categories. You can do searches by that. We also have, you know, suggestions. Uh, and the search category is um, you can go and you can actually search by keyword. So you can find things pretty pretty easily. But um, because of the limitations of, of any EPG on a television and the limited buttons, we have a very easy remote. It has like eight, eight buttons on it. Aha, right, um, of course. Yeah. Since, except if you're on the Media Center PC. Is it more flexible then? 
Right. Well, the media media center PC is a, is a little bit different. But what what is interesting about marrying sort of being a service that that sort of straddles both uh, traditional broadcast and also uses uh, sort of the flexibility and the targetability of, of the internet is that we have a companion service called My Akimbo. So when you sign up for My Akimbo, um, you can go to that site and manage your programming viewership that way. I could be at the office and I could look up and go and get recommendations or, you know, put prompts or have people send me information saying, hey, you know, you really got to see the show. Why don't you download it? Much like people send, you know, these viral emails around, you can do that uh, between Akimbo users. And then I can click on a link and have something download directly to my player so that when I get home, it's there. And so that's a very interesting way. And it's also another way that marketers can get involved with the service in sort of a new way. Okay, is, so that, that's, yeah. that's my next question. Thank you. That was very nice segue, Mary. Um, <laughs> tell, tell us about what marketers can do to leverage your platform. So right now it's a, it's a very traditional ad, ad model. So it's a broadcasting model. I mean, the, the ads, you know, broadcasting ads have worked well over the years because it's a great environment to be uh, in. You have, you know, all the elements there, sight, sound, um, okay. and, yeah, and emotion. Um, so it, it is a very essentially very much a traditional broadcast model. We can do 30-second spots associated with your program. Right now, that's the way um, our partners do that. They embed the 30-second spot uh, before the program uh, for certain shows, and people watch that. The thing that we can do in the future is that we will have a, a, the ability to uh, take ads, so we take your carousel of ads from any of our programming partners, and they may be out selling their advertising on their own, and they give us the carousel of ads and tell us when and where to um, to embed these ads. And we can insert the ads uh, by geographic and demographic means, you know, uh, connected with their programming as, as Akimbo users access their programming. So that's one model. The other model from an, just an out, you know, inbound advertiser interest, if we were going to, and we may, uh, sell advertising directly to advertisers, um, they could come to the service and we could provide them with uh, packages of programming where they could actually target consumers in a number of ways, and they are not limited to 30-second commercials, nor are they limited to uh, does it have to be a 30-second or a 30-minute infomercial. We can have things where you may have, let's say, progressive uh, ad delivery. So let's say a consumer watches a, a travel video. We have a lot of travel video. And let's say they watch a uh, – on the second time they watch a travel video on Greece, our Greece you know, cruise advertiser – uh, then delivers a, a an ad down to the consumer that's more than just an ad. It's a it's an offer, and then maybe it's a maybe just eleven or four four minute advertising uh, offer on uh, you know cruising the Greek islands. So that is more likely going to attra- attract the attention of that user who's watched program a program that's associated with that than if they were just trying to you know buy a a broadcast ad. So that's that's one way they can do it. And then again, uh, there's more branded inver- uh, entertainment kind of opportunities where we're getting. Uh, partners like uh, in the auto industry, we have a, um, a partner called Wheels TV, and they do this great series every year where they take the top 200 cars and they do a top 200 car test drive. So you have um, all of the top models being test driven, and they're about four or five minute pieces. Um, in addition to that, you could have, let's say, let somebody watch the uh, BMW test drive, and these are totally, uh, you know, third party views of the of the car. Um, you could have BMW then send down a longer form if they wanted to add. Uh, associated with the BMW, giving the consumer even more information and possibly an offer. Okay. So there's a lot of unique things that we can do on, on that front that are and attractive. Are you doing any of them now? I, was, can, I get the models that they all make total sense to me. Are you doing any of the – are you offering anything now? Like can I'm, if I'm Unilever, can I call you up and buy advertising on the Akimbo service today? 
You, you can. The issue, yes. probably for most advertisers, is, again, one of reach. So sure. being a, a, a product that just launched, um, and we've been available only through the web, so that gives you um, a sense that it's a, probably a slower growth. Uh, You're not talking about growth. Are you, ta- you going to give me your installed base number? Um, we, have, we haven't announced that, but it's... it's okay. It's not a lot, and that's okay. It's, um, we, you know, we, it's a few. It's a few thousand. So don't worry but, about it. We love new technologies, and there are right. marketers out there who don't care if it's only a few thousand. They want to be on the latest platform. So there's nothing to be ashamed about right. when you're breaking new territory, right? Right. It's, I was thinking about. Um, we were talking about your history um, of going from, you know, the traditional to the interactive to the interactive television world. And I, I kind of had this image in my mind of people like you who, um, are, instead of having medals on your chest, you have arrows on your back, but you wear them yeah, just exactly. proudly. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Now, you have been, so it's been really interesting for me to learn more about Akimbo. I had a, a cursory knowledge of it, and I really liked how you dialed it all in for us. Um, but I am also just impressed with you as a person. You, you have a fascinating job. You, you're working for a really interesting company in a, an incredible new category. You've had a fantastic track record in the world. I, I want to know more about Mary. So tell, tell us in the audience something about you that nobody would ever think to ask you or no one would ever assume that you did. Tell us something interesting. Well, I, I, the thing is, I guess if you knew me, you'd know these things. But if you didn't know me, um, I well, my husband and I are very involved in the wine industry and in the wine business. My parents uh, live up in Napa, and my dad's chairman of this group called International Wine and Food Society. And so we spend quite a bit of time up there um, doing these special tastings and things with different, different vintners and um, you know, private tastings as well as sort of larger ones. And we've made wine before, um, and we have a big interest in that sort of area. So we spend a lot of time when we're not traveling around for Akimbo um, consuming. We're more consumers <laughs> than we are makers of wine. I love it. And what would you recommend? What's your favorite drinking wine right now? Do you have one that you can tell our audience about that they might like to try that they might not have heard of? We want your inside scoop on the sleeper wine of the year. Well, you know, these, it depends on how much you want to spend. And unfortunately, we've developed these very expensive tastes, which is uh, kind of sad. So we are looking for a new, what we call day wine, one that you <laughs> daily without having the guilt of feeling like, gosh, that was $75. We just drank that. But there, there are some great deals out there. And one of the, I think one of the most underrated wines, if you can find it, um, is called Ragusi, R-E-G-U-S-C-H-S, I think R-U-G-U-S-C-H-S-C-H-S-C-H-S-C-H-S-C-H-S-C-H-S-C-H-S-C-H-S-C-H-S-C-H-S-C-H-S-C-H-S-C-H-S-C-H-S-C-H-S-
Well, tell us your hot tip. You've given us a fantastic tip for wine. What about a great place to stay? What's your favorite uh, hotel up in the wine country? Well, again, you know, everyone thinks there's going to be this, you know, cheap little bed and breakfast up there. Oh, so no. it's, nothing, unfortunately, is inexpensive up there. Um, so we, we have a couple favorites. I mean, obviously, we stay with my parents a lot, but... Um, there's um, there's a couple really neat places. Meadowood, of course, is a great place to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, there's uh, there's a couple little boutique places up there that you can stay at, like the Bordeaux House mm. is one. Um, and then there's uh, if you go um, if you really want to go big, <laughs> there's a place yep. called Calistoga Ranch. Oh, have you stayed there? We have, but it was, uh, you know, they had like a 50% off weekend. And yeah. uh, let me tell you, that's, if you really want to splurge, that is the place to go. It's awesome. That is, you better be drinking Bordeaux when you go there. That's the Tony Diggs, isn't it? It is completely, yeah. Calistoga Ranch. All right, so we have two hot tips from Mary. One is Ragusi Winery. The other is stay at the Calistoga Ranch when they get 50% off. And what do you think? Should we should buy an Akimbo device or next, next year when the new Consumer Electronics brand ships, that's when we should buy? I- well, I think you can, do, you can get a cheap one now for Christmas, and then yeah. uh, when when RC when they launch an RCA, oops, uh, when they launch, when they launch Thank next you. quarter <laughs> you, uh, into retail, you can buy one as well. But and will there a, be an upgrade program? Center, what's is, that? Is there going to be an upgrade program? Uh, it's not an upgrade because it's the same device. It's just okay. it's produced by a manufacturer, so it has a few additional feature sets, but it's essentially the same device. So what, what I what I would recommend though is I, I bet you a lot of the audience probably has media centers, and uh, I would just say please please you know there's a free trial going on right now. You can try it for no strings attached. Try the Akimbo service, and either sign up for it or if you don't, what we are we very good at taking feedback from consumers. We appreciate everyone's input, and there are some things that are kind of a little funky about the service operation on Media Center, but they're attributed to Media Center and not, okay. not things that we can control. But there are other things that, you know, maybe comments-wise that would be uh, reflective of what Akimbo can do better to make the experience for the consumer better, as well as any, you know, programming suggestions. And um, we didn't get into the whole programming licensing bit, which is a very difficult area to get into, um, and there's lots of rights issues associated with that. So our ability to attract and get programming partners is really related to our ability to negotiate with uh, all of these licensing bodies, and that takes a lot longer time than a lot of consumers realize. So, yeah, that's well, not we, the job yeah. I'd want to have. I'd rather. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a brutal but, part but of it. We're, we're applying them open. I mean, the, the things are changing these days. As you notice, the, the download models and the, the ability for uh, some of the big networks to provide their primetime programming to iPod and uh, you know, and to, to AOL. I mean, those those are big helpful things for us because that makes it easier for me to go in and cut those deals. Well, I wish you all the success in the world cutting those deals, and uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was great to get to know you, Mary, and for you to tell us all about Akimbo. Well, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. And uh, thank you, audience, for tuning in today, dialing in today. Um, And I am Susan Bratton, your Ad Tech Chair and host of Ad Tech Connect, and I'll look forward to seeing you again next week at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. Take care. Thank you.